entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of Be More, Achieve More and cc1consulting.com, and I'm delighted to be with you again uh, on this, what is a very snowy day today in the United Kingdom. Um, I'd firstly like you to say a, a thank you to uh, my guests um, who were on the show a couple of weeks ago, actually, uh, Martin Palethorpe and Phil Clothier, uh, for talking with me about culture. Um, that was on the 4th of January. Some really interesting information there, and I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, the results of their survey, because they're doing a survey on the cultural values of, of uh, England, and that will be public knowledge on the 24th of January. So um, thanks to those guys. Um, last week, I repeated the show with Paul Cook on events, uh, as I was away in a workshop. I was with a former mentor of mine, and someone who's really inspired me to get out there and make a difference through you know, different channels, such as this show. And as I walked around her, her beautiful mansion house, it's set in 25 acres of land, I admired her horses, and around the place were many Buddhist statues in the grounds, and I reflected on how her life had transformed over the 20 years I'd known her. Um, also, how my life has changed in that period as well. You know, born like myself into a working class background through an absolute commitment to self-development, focused discipline, action, and adding value in the, in the business world, combined with spirituality. So, um, you know, she has a, a very spiritual angle to her. Um, I'm interested in that area as well. You know, the two combined together, I think, have really helped her create amazing results and add huge value to the, to the world. Um, several months ago, I also spoke to a group of, of doctors about strategies for enjoying each day. And I touched very briefly on relaxation and, and Buddhism, something that at times I'd given some attention to. And as if by magic, I, was, I opened my email and I was contacted by a representative of my guest today, Michael Carroll, uh, sharing his book, Fearless at Work. Now, I read his profile and the book, actually, and I, and I just have to say it was absolutely fascinating. Uh, the book, I felt a, a real sense of calm reading it, and it really spoke to me in a very engaging way. In the book, there are, th are 38 different slogans to reflect on how to help you become uh, fearless in, in your work. And it was just very interesting to see how that angle and the work an angle could come together and be very powerful. Now, Michael says that work is such a critical part of our life, and yet we often struggle with and feel overwhelmed by the numerous challenges it presents us. You know, whether it's job insecurity, making peace with or leaving an unfulfilling job, or, or dealing with office conflicts, we often experience fear, don't we, and a, and a sense of groundlessness just at a time when we want to be at our most creative and resilient. Now, Michael is a former vice president of Walt Disney and also Simon Schuster, and he draws on his Buddhist philosophy as a long-time human resources executive, meditation teacher, and executive coach. Michael is presently the COO of Global Coaching Alliance, and he's worked with clients such as Procter & Gamble, Google, AstraZeneca, Starbucks, Red, uh, National Geographic Expeditions, Merck, many other very, very well-known organizations. And he's been studying Tibetan Buddhism since 1976, where he graduated from uh, Buddhist seminary in 1980. He's an authorized teacher in Kagyu 
Nyingma lineage of Tibetan Buddhism. I hope I said that correctly. Um, and Michael has a bachelor's degree in theology and philosophy from the University of Dayton. He's got a master's degree in adult education. He speaks at lots of different locations about um, some of these principles. So during this show, we're going to discuss what I think are some really engaging and inspiring principles that can help us to be naturally more brave, more resourceful, and more resilient at work. So, uh, Michael Cowell, welcome to the show. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, you're, you're very welcome. And uh, a pleasure to talk to you. And Maybe the place we could start up, Michael, is um, maybe start with a question. What is, in your sort of uh, mind, uh, being fearless at work. What does that entail? Mm-hmm. Well, I think in order to understand being fearless at work, I think first we have to examine uh, maybe some of the more difficult aspects of going to work. And, uh, you know, I, I we all go to our jobs with with aspirations. You know, I mean, you know, I, I ask a question to people all the time, you know, what do you want at work? At work, I want to be what? And you get a, a variety of answers. The number one answer, by the way, is happy at work, which I think for managers is important. A lot of people come to work looking for happiness. Uh, but, you know, we come to work for a variety of reasons. We come, we want to be successful. We want to be recognized. We want to contribute. We want to be happy. But we all know that work is um, far more unruly than that, and that, in fact, <clears throat> sometimes we're happy at work, sometimes we're not happy. Sometimes we're respected at work, sometimes we're diminished. Sometimes we're succeeding, other times we're failing. So what I've found in my life, as well as working with executives and all kinds of people, is when we bring these aspirations down to earth, what we're really looking for at work is to be confident that we can engage our work, in fact, our entire lives from a place of ease and resourcefulness that we have confidence in ourselves that we can engage just about anything that is offered us and we can do it in a way that is skillful, open, resourceful, uh, and at the same time, maintaining a sense of our own presence and and ease of presence. I, I think that makes an awful lot of sense because uh, I, I guess probably define that. I'm, I've been doing some work uh, over the last few years developing a, a tool to measure well-being in work with a, uh, a colleague and and. Ed- him and his, his team actually developed this, this great tool. But, but that's, um, that well-being and how happy and fulfilled people are at work makes a huge difference, does it? Not only to performance of the company, um, but also to, as you say, the fulfillment of the individual. Yeah, let me just say something. I think happiness is important, but everybody listening, as you well too, Chris, at work we're often in situations that are very unpleasant, mm-hmm. Right. Firing yep. people, losing a deal, having an argument, being in, in, in a conflict, not unpleasant, but difficult, you know, and sometimes unpleasant. And it's, it's really there where these issues of positive feelings are tested, you know, and can we, can we engage those confidently? But go ahead, I'm sorry. That's okay. So, so, so you know, um, I mean, you've identified there, I guess, some of the problems that 
people might face when it comes to being fearless at work. It, it is the, it's the confrontation and uh, and challenge and things not going right. I mean, are there, what other things happen in the workplace that you've experienced that maybe you know, challenge that fearlessness and confidence? Well, I think there are some very simple. It it, it, it can be as simple as um, you know. Um, not being included, you know, or, you know, for me, I, as an HR executive, I've had, I've had to fire thousands of people. And, um, you know, how do you, do, if you're afraid of doing that, then you're going to rush past it. And you're not going to actually be there with people and, and respect that human issue. Um, a lot of people who fire people, because it's so uncomfortable and so difficult, they tend to want to rush past it, have someone else have it. They want to get through the conversation. And the person who's being you know, let go, often for good reasons, there's no longer a job there or whatever, um, you know, feels diminished rather than respected. So the issue is how do we engage conflicts that, in ways that we can bring our very best to it? Uh, and feel comfortable in doing that. So it, 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 it can be as simple as sort of feeling disrespected by your neighbor because they don't say good morning to you, or as big as laying off a thousand employees because the business isn't doing well. It's how do you engage those experiences from a sense of openness and confidence and what I call fearlessness. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean... And that situation you explained there about uh, firing people and making people redundant, uh, I, I've had to do that many times as well in my, my corporate career. But I guess the one thing I always sort of thought about and realized through that process is actually, because I've been made redundant a couple of times, is actually that point in time when you're given that information is, some, is a point in time that you'll never forget. It's a very yeah. significant life event, isn't it? That's right. It's a very human moment. It is not a corporate moment. It is not a business moment. It is not a financial moment. It is a, a profoundly human moment. And the ability to open to it and to be human with one another in difficult times uh, takes a lot of courage. Now, I, I know that you, obviously I've mentioned that you study Buddhism and it sits very much behind your approach. And um, I, I've experienced uh, Buddhism through my visits to uh, Thailand and, and Sri Lanka. And, and I think there's some, you know, a lot of wisdom that we can learn from it in the Western world. Why, why do you personally find its principles are, are really valuable and applicable for the world of work? Yeah, I would say probably more now than ever, frankly. I know that sounds awfully sort of... Uh, naive, but, you know, there is so much speed and intensity right now as, as you know, basically global capitalism shifts to this information-based, global, distributed network kind of business versus the old command and control approach. And there's so much speed, you know, every device, tons of information, handheld, all this kind of speed. And often what happens there is there's not a lot of psychological space to actually experience what we're going through. And I'm finding more and more now that in business, we're rushing past many of the things that we really want to attend to. And that quality of speed 
and intensity, while you know the ambition's good and it's kind of fun being in the in the hunt for good business, also has its blind spots. And those blind spots have to do, at least from my point of view as a, a executive coach, is really about training your own mind to uh, slow down and uh, open up to the situation and have a, a far more mature relationship with your experience than just rushing to succeed. Um, and uh, my experience with you know, senior leaders is it's not so much what you do for a living, it's what you see for a living. You know, can you see clearly? Can you get a good measure of the competition? With all this rapid change, can you get a good assessment of the horizon on where the business is going to be in 36 months? All of this requires a mind that is um, at its ease and open and confident versus a mind that is speeding toward um, uh, objectives or insecure or feeling threatened or even toxic for that matter, you know? I, I, I think, you you know, for what you said there, kind of, for me, makes me think about the role of, of, a, of a facilitator today or a, or a good mentor in that space, which um, I, I see as being about, you know, creating creating a space for people to to stop and reflect and see the big picture rather than being lost in that that sense of do, do, do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I think, uh, you know, what you're describing, I mean, do you find, we've only got a, another couple of minutes to commercial break, but do you find that people, when they take that time to slow down and stop and think, actually the slowing down enables them to actually speed up? Well, <clears throat> the, and again, I think this is, the, the core to my approach is the practice of mindfulness awareness meditation. And when you train your mind to actually not constantly believe that what you're thinking is true, but actually engage your experience. It isn't that you have to speed up or slow down. You move at the pace required to accomplish your goals. And sometimes that fast, sometimes that slow. You know, but you're not stuck in first gear. Yeah, because the right decision actually might be to slow something back. Yeah, or not do anything at all. Yeah, yeah, because that—that uh, absolutely, yeah, don't do anything. Yeah, and that takes a certain maturity of mind that isn't uh, sort of trapped by chasing its objective. Doesn't mean that we're not going to achieve our goals and and meet our performance objectives and grow our business. But we're not trapped in chasing that goal, and because of that, we have a much wider perspective and, frankly, can be far more skillful in how we engage challenges, some of which we shouldn't even be paying attention to. Yeah. We're going to go to a commercial break now. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, actually how you can adopt some meditative-type practices in the, in the workplace, um, but also some of the uh, key principles, which Michael calls slogans. And some of those are very powerful and very interesting. So do hang on. Uh, do stay with us and do listen to the, the rest of the show because I think you're going to find some of this stuff very helpful and fascinating. So we'll be back with you again just in a couple of minutes. <laughs> comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be? Or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kirk Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of bemoreachievemore.com and cc1consulting.com, and I'm delighted to be with Michael Carroll at the moment, and we're talking about Fearless at Work. Uh, so, so, Michael, I want, I'm really interested to, to know, uh, because I read about 10 years ago, I think it was in the Harvard Business Review, that one of the big things that was going to occur in the workplace was more meditation. And uh, I know they've sort of written, oh, people are going to be surprised by this, but some companies will start to have meditation rooms, and, they, and it seemed almost kind of quite really quite out there at that stage. Um, but I, th- I think that's starting to happen in some environments. And I, d- I just wonder what you, um, your thoughts are in terms of, you know, how the merits of meditation uh, mm-hmm. to improve performance in the workplace and whether companies, from your perspective, are, are actually taking this seriously now. Yeah, well, it is. Um, I've been doing this. I, I, I think I taught meditation in the workplace the very first time in 1984, so uh, I've been doing it for some time. Um, back then, it was kind of looked at as woo-woo and kind of weird. But, um, but now, you know, they have a course at Wharton Business School on this, at the Drucker School of Management. Uh, Google has meditation rooms. A lot of uh, law firms actually uh, <clears throat> have meditation rooms. And, you know, for the most part, Chris, uh, a lot of companies resonate with uh, mindfulness uh, meditation from the point of view of stress management. They, you, you, there's all kinds of studies, and I won't go into them here, but essentially the, the science behind it is pointing out that sitting still for extended periods of time is an extremely healthy thing to do. And uh, everything from, um, you know, your uh, immune system improves, your Blood pressure goes down, your attention span improves, your anxiety is reduced. I mean, we could go on and on with all of the kind of stress management uh, advantages to it. Uh, but that's not particularly where I sort of uh, go. I, I don't, uh, that's not where I emphasize. And my emphasis isn't placed on 
on that uh, quality of the practice, though that's a very good benefit and one that I invite you and your, your audience to sort of enjoy from the meditation. Where I place my emphasis is less on stress management and more on awakening the natural qualities of the mind that are healthy, uh, sane, and often and very skillful qualities, what I call the natural uh, uh, qualities of a leader. Um, and uh, so this meditation, and there are some studies around this topic as well, which is that when you, and there's something very bizarrely counterintuitive to it, but essentially when you do this meditation and you sit still for extended periods of time, you begin to develop emotional and social intelligence skills. Uh, and in fact, the part of the brain that uh, regulates the emotions not only lights up, but, and I know the gentleman who did this study, he's a friend of mine, they actually, the brain actually grows cells, brain cells in the part of the brain that regulates the emotion when you do this. So this quality of becoming self-aware, the ability to regulate your emotions, to listen more effectively, to open to your experience, your colleagues, uh, and to um, actually be more skillful in, in, in working with others and, and, and trying to contribute to your world, uh, that's where I, I, I place my emphasis. And, and how, in your opinion, do people best do this in a, in a workplace? Because I, you know, I, obviously through my work, I, I, I've been a corporate executive, I've met um, and I deal with many, many corporate executives all the time. And a lot of the ones that I meet uh, seem to be flat out just trying to deal with uh, managing their home lives and their kids, getting away from uh, driving to home, driving, commuting to work, getting in the office, getting started, getting through all the emails, uh, getting into meetings. How do people find the space for this? And in your view, what's the best place, the best way to actually do it? Well, I mean, there, there's a kind of a catch-22, first off, which is one is given the impression that you really don't have the time to actually stop and just do this. Uh, but the very act of speeding through your life is the symptom that inclines you to think about it, right? So there's an irony there. But my suggestion to people that I work with is not so much to do meditation on the job, which is fine I'm, if you have that luxury or location or some, is really to sort of start your day off with just 10 minutes. Very short, no big deal. This isn't sort of going to a monastery or anything. It's just learning to, and you need to get the instruction, but essentially it's learning to sit up and uh, train the attention and stabilize it on your breathing and just do it for 10 minutes in the morning before you before you go to work. That's all. And is that something that, can you, uh, you say sit up, so you have to be sitting up, you can't be, can you be lying in bed? or just, No, uh, no, there's very up. specific instruction on, on the physical posture. The In my style is really what's called mindfulness awareness meditation. So it has to do with the eyes open, a certain posture of sitting, uh, how you actually train the attention and uh, escort it from thinking to placing the attention on the breath, all of these kinds of instructions, while very simple, are actually quite subtle and uh, very powerful. Uh, the metaphor I would use is, you know, it's kind of like if you were a, ball 
um, someone studying ballet, and you do uh, you know demi plies over and over and over. I mean, this is it's an act that you do over and over to perfect certain muscles. Well, it's the same thing with leadership. This meditation actually exercises very subtle leadership muscles that on the job begin to express themselves very powerfully, but you have to understand how to do a demi-plié. You have to actually get the instruction. Uh, so so uh, in, in one of your books or websites, whatever, do you have uh, somewhere people yeah, can go for the instructions if they want to? Absolutely. You can go on, online uh, to, my, to my website, uh, awakeatwork.net, and we have, um, uh, it's there. You can read it. And there's pictures of the posture. I'm going to be putting up at some point a uh, video of me giving the instruction. But the, you, you can go to my book. Yeah, yeah. So, or you can email me if you want a particular style of meditation of my lineage. Uh, I'd be happy to if people email me. I can. I have colleagues all over the world who who do this, and I can sort of hook you up with somebody. Fantastic. So let's let's move on to. Actually, no. I'm gonna. When we were talking, uh, a. And planning this show, you actually did share with me something that people could do in the office that that people have found valuable, and that was just. Uh, is around stopping, uh, stopping doing things for ten minutes or something in your office. Can you can you want to just share that because that was quite well, interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure what you were talking, what we were specifically talking about, but I'll give you an example. So it's important for the audience to make a distinction between what we call mindfulness awareness meditation and mindfulness techniques. So there are a whole range of mindfulness techniques that uh, one can use on the job to sort of accelerate this this sense of fearlessness and confidence. Um, here's one that um, uh, a friend of mine at the University of Pennsylvania, he's a physician, that he uses when he trains physicians. We know that the average time that a physician spends with um, a client or a, a patient general practitioner, is somewhere around five to eight minutes, somewhere in there. And we know that if the research shows that if the patient leaves that five to, minute, five to eight minute interchange feeling that they had been listened to, the likelihood is that they will follow through on the instructions given to them by the doctor. To the degree to which they feel they weren't listened to, because the doctor is hectic, speedy, distracted, whatever, and many of your uh, people in your audience may know that experience, the likelihood that the patient will follow through on the on the instructions from the physician goes down rapidly. So obviously, we want to train physicians to be able to have a bedside manner, to be available, to listen well. So what this physician friend of mine who trains physicians, who is a practitioner of mindfulness, he trains physicians that as they're walking into the, um, to the, the, way, the room where the patient is, as they put their hand on the doorknob to pause, to simply feel their hand on the doorknob to pause, to actually drop all their thoughts, because that's the internal move. You drop your thoughts. You might be thinking about something else or something you read or I want to get home. You drop all of that. You feel your hand on the doorknob for about three to four seconds. 
and then you walk in. And what they have found is the ability to for a physician to attend to that experience in such a way that leaves the patient feeling listened to, appreciated, and, and actually included in the conversation goes up rapidly, and therefore the patient is most more likely to follow through on the instruction. So that's just sort of a, a very classic or, or simple application of this pause, just pausing. I, I think you make a, a great point there. Uh, my, wife, my wife's a physician, and we talk about uh, this sort of thing quite regularly. But with, you know, physicians have got so many things happening. It's I can yep. imagine I can imagine it be so easy not to, uh, you know, be every time be a hundred percent attentive because uh, you know you know and I guess and, and I I know that certainly when you're working with people one to one, the magic happens when you're completely attentive. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I find that anyway. That those well, moments where you're completely listening, with your whole whole body listening um, to the other person, you you feel an energy, don't you? It uh, sure. Well, you know what it feels like on the other side, right? You're talking mm-hmm. to your boss about a new project that you're excited about. You've been working on it for a month. You finally have the report done. And you can tell that the person's mind's wandering and sort of they're giving you nice smiles and, and phrases that make you feel good, but you know there's not commitment there. Yeah. Right? We know what it looks like. So we're talking about a presence that we can bring to the workplace that is authentic, open, intelligent, skillful. And we know what it looks like and we know what it feels like when we're not there. Great. So we're going to go to commercial break again just in a moment. And uh, after we come back from the break, we're going to look at a number of different, um, as as Michael calls, slogans, things that you can actually reflect upon that can help you become uh, more fearless at work. And some of them are very very powerful and very interesting. So um, I look look forward to uh, talking to you again just after a short commercial break. the boardroom to you voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential chris cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the achiever program one-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. 
That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. So, hi, this is uh, Chris Cooper, bemoreachievemore.com. I'm with Michael Carroll. We're talking about fearless at work. And, Michael, we've referred, I've referred a couple of times in the show so far that you have these slogans that you recommend people reflect on and, and help you become more fearless. Now, I know in your, uh, your book, I think there's something like about, is it 38 of these slogans? So we're just going to share a sample of them. Um, I, I certainly, when I read your book, I thought, crikey, I want to read that, I, I want to read that again and, and study those slogans. Um, so this is not, I don't normally uh, use my show as an advert for people's books, but hopefully you get the message that I'm just enthusiastic about it. Um, so let's, um, let's start with perhaps, um, what is, you know, what is no delight, no courage? Right. Let me just say something really quick to the audience about the notion of what we call slogan practice. It's a particular style of training that goes back many centuries in Tibet. Uh, and it's basically distilling down particular types of spiritual insights or disciplines into very short phrases that you can recall while you're living your everyday life that help you turn what you're doing into your everyday life into a contemplative activity or a spiritual insight. So this is a very old practice. I've been trained in it. I'm very fortunate to have been trained into it by, by several Tibetan teachers. So it's designed through that. It's called Lojong or mind training. So with that said, um, the, the slogan, which one? I'm sorry. Remind me, Chris, which one? Um, I, think, I think we talked about what is no delight, no courage. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So no delight, no courage. <clears throat> you know, typically we look at fearlessness or bravery or courage in really facing life's difficulties. And they can be as simple as stubbing our toe or losing our child in a car accident. Uh, these are Life dishes up some very powerful stuff. And that we often look at fearlessness as can we actually engage these difficulties in life in a way that is confident, thorough, and, and healthy and resilient, right? And that's completely true and a big part of fearlessness, but there's another part. That's not the whole story about fearlessness. The other part of fearlessness is about being able to appreciate our lives right here, right now. And that if we can't delight in the experience of just having a hand, or even this experience right now, I mean, you're in London, I'm in the East Coast of the United States, and you have a tribe of people who are listening in right now, and uh, this is a powerful and delightful experience. And if we cannot appreciate our lives in a very simple way, then it, it, it reflects that we don't have the courage. And I use the word coward in the book, that it's a cowardly move, that we can't appreciate our lives that it is a very rich and inspiring thing to be a human being. Despite all the difficulties. Don't get me wrong. But at any given time, we can delight in our lives by just even drinking a glass of water. So this slogan is about appreciating our lives in a very real, visceral, and immediate way and noticing there's something about being human that is profound and delightful and uplifting, and it's available. 
This ability to appreciate life in such an immediate and deep way is a natural expression of the meditation practice, and it's being just being completely human. So, so this is a, about you know, right in this very moment. Clearly, I, I appreciate the opportunity and the gift that I have to talk with you and, and, and the medium of this show. But I can also appreciate the, the fact that I have a piece of paper that has print on it, or a or a pen that has been had a, many years of design so that it writes like it writes. And a, an amazing computer. Is it is it um, having that sense and notice these things? Actually, how fortunate and how amazing. It is to have them, as well yeah. as you know, both people and physical objects and nature. And That's it. You, you're on it. And, and here's the key, is we tend to speed past all of this. We tend to take it for granted. Like you just said, a pen. You know, I'm sitting here with a pen. It's a, a, a brilliantly engineered thing. I mean, it's absolute genius. But, you know, it's just a pen. But no, it isn't. If you really pause... And appreciate it, there's a delight. You know, the fact that there's an up and a down, right? There's an up and a down. I mean, that's a profound situation. We shouldn't take it for granted. <laughs> no. No, and the, the, the fact that we're, we're alive at all and that we're on a planet spinning it so many... At, at, uh, hundreds of thousands of miles per hour, whatever it is, uh, going moving through a, a, a solar system... And we are one of many. I mean, it's the whole thing is just marvelous, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah. It's well, let me incredible. also let me also just bring it down to the earth because I'm sure there's some people in your audience going, "What's happening with Chris and Michael? They sound like some kind of hippies or something." <laughs> but no, here's here's a very practical issue. Right? You have you were just saying, Chris, your kids are home from school, you know, because it's snowing and stuff like that. You're under a lot of pressure to get this. Uh, you know, you have this radio program, you have some things you got to get done, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of pressure. But at some point, your son's going to walk in and say, hey, Dad, want to throw a snowball? Right? Yeah. But are we able to pause and appreciate our lives? Or are we going to speed past this snowy day when our child's home? This also is a key part of it for us who are working so hard in this modern society that we tend to speed past our lives. We end up being 45. We've, you know, made our money or done our jobs or whatever, but our, you know, our relationships aren't as healthy as we'd like them to be. Maybe our health isn't as healthy as we'd like it to be because we haven't delighted in our lives along the way. And that's a big part of what this slogan is about. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to somebody who ran a, a big business uh, a, a, a few months ago, and he, he was sort of wishing that he'd spent more time with his uh, children while they were growing up. He was too busy pursuing his career, and now he wants to spend more time with them. They're grown up, and they never really saw him as being a huge part of their lives, and they, they, they don't see him as being a huge part of their lives now. Yeah. Um, you know, what a missed opportunity. Yeah, and that's what the whole notion of delight is. And the meditation trains the mind to be in the present moment. So it makes it increasingly difficult for us to actually speed past our lives. Mm. So, so these, these slogans, would you just reflect on them during the day? Or would, would, uh, is the meditation about just you know, listening to your, following your breathing? Or would you, uh, would you contemplate these while you're meditating? I mean, 
Well, no, the way it works, the way what's called lojong or mind training works is that you don't deliberately contemplate things. So let's say if you were kind enough to buy my book, Fearless at Work, you'd be, you, let's say you choose, I'm just going to spontaneously open it right now. Let's say we choose um, the, the, um, the, the slogan, uh, be a flagpole. All right, be a flagpole. Now, that slogan is about, at certain times as leaders, we should do absolutely nothing but just be present so people can see us and orient themselves towards us in a way that gives them confidence. All right? So this notion of being just a presence of confidence for other people so that they can see it and feel confidence themselves. Okay, so you read the slogan, you get the point. It's a little story in there about a company that I did some consulting with. And you put the book away and, and you forget about it. Now you're at work the next day and you're in a meeting and everybody's arguing or there's a tension in the room and you happen to be the most senior person in the room. And, you, and you're about to say, hey, everybody, could you just shut up? And you say, wait a minute, be a flagpole. It comes to your mind spontaneously. You don't try to have it come to your mind. It just will appear. And you go, and you pause. And you say, I'm going to let me experiment with this. And you don't say anything. You just sit there calmly. And you notice, instead of you trying to fix the situation, that people are looking to you to see if it's okay for them to be candid. And the more you stay quiet, the more you notice that people are getting more confident about their perspective. Now, that happened not because you tried to contemplate that slogan, but it spontaneously came to your mind and invited you to take a different approach. And in so doing, you learned a lesson. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Right. sure. That's, how, that's how the Lojong, this ancient teaching works. So let's talk about being curious about conflict. What do you mean and how do you do it? Yeah, typically, and again, this, this is a natural outcome of the meditation. Okay, this is not, in other words, God bless, people should try this, but the more you meditate, the more this becomes a very natural thing. And they found it, there's been some studies at Harvard about attorneys that practice med meditation. So, typically, as you may know, you go, I guess you guys call them barristers, we call them attorneys here. You know, often, you know, in, in legal struggles, there's all kinds of hyperbole and, and exaggeration and aggression and lawsuits and just all kinds of cranky pants. Everybody's angry, right? Well, normally, when the, that kind of stuff comes at us, what we could call kind of a, an insult comes at us, we tend to uh, uh, pull back. And we tend to um, uh, feel the emotional um, power of it. So we might get angry, or we might become frightened, or we may become uh, a sense of feeling impoverished, or whatever. These emotions come up. And what happens then is when the conflict's coming at us, we tend to then distort it out of proportion and make it larger than it is. The meditation, however, and they've, they've shown this with attorneys, attorneys who meditate are less, less impressed with tantrums. 
they're 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 not they're more likely to join problems up. They listen more effectively. So, from the point of view of 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 working with conflict, for as you practice more and more, conflicts become more like windows than snowballs. They offer you an insight into the person you're working with. Uh, you're less threatened by the emotional the emotionality of it all and more curious about it. It doesn't mean that if somebody calls you a nasty name that you don't, you know, go, well, that's not cool. But that's not necessarily the only reaction. You have a much more fluid sense of presence and you're you don't have to necessarily be so impressed by the tantrum or the emotionality. And in fact, the the conflict or the insult really offers a way for you to get a better measure of who you're talking about. Mm. So, so, so you're you're observing it, are you? And and uh, uh, and using it to understand that person, but not taking on the emotional charge of it. You, you, you yeah. remaining impartial. Well, not necessarily. The impartiality of it is really sort of a, a, a very small part of the move. So there is an objectivity to it because, you know, you're actually not necessarily just falling prey to the insult. But more importantly is you're willing to touch it. You're, you're actually willing to sort of lean toward it and, and, and sort of feel the texture of it, which often is quite distasteful. I mean, arrogance, for example. Arrogant people, you know, and not, you know, I suffer from it. It's not like it's beneath me or, you know, I'm, I'm, I can be a knucklehead, believe me. Uh, arrogance is very distasteful because it's really just cowardice masquerading as confidence. But normally we, we pull back, we fester, we don't like that person, whatever. Here we can actually explore it. We can actually touch it. So it's not just observing, though that's a big part of it. It's also being able to lean toward it and explore it. So how, how do you how do you react then in that situation? And I, I'm I'm thinking I actually got I sent a very very nice pleasant request of somebody uh, recently, and I got a very unpleasant text back which shocked me <laughs> i have to be honest um mm -hmm. I, and what, what i chose to do actually was just think well i'm not even going to i'm not even going to respond uh and i, and I left it i fessed over it for a couple of days and then i i kind of gradually started to let it go um how, how should somebody react in that situation should you deal with it um because because otherwise it get tit for tat can't it yeah, I think the issue here is there's no formula, right? So it really is a matter of sort of uh, agility and a sort of resi resilient kind of uh, place. Um, so there's an agileness. And often what happens is, is because we feel attacked, we feel a need to respond. So there's almost like a twitch move, right? And what we do there in this situation is the meditation teaches us that we are not, um, how would you say, uh, uh, we don't have to be victimized by our emotions. We can pause. Well, we can pause. And in that case, you did. 
Now, depending upon the situation, there's no formula again. But the main issue is is that the, the practice teaches us how to be self-aware of our emotions and to self-regulate them. We're not trapped into an emotional response. Typically what I've found in my experience, but also in coaching people, is <clears throat> when we feel that we're getting a nasty response, we amplify it. And when we amplify it, we don't get a true picture of actually what happened. And just pausing, and then maybe even just you know, get, a, get a glass of water and come back and read the email, we begin to notice that it's not near as sort of confrontational as we thought. Yes. Yeah, it's very important to email and <laughs> better, far better to do that, and isn't it? And take take the time to do that than send a note back saying you're a jerk or something that you're going to regret later. And it's in writing. <laughs> so I, I liked another one that I liked um, was where is the edge? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, can you can you explain that one because that one kind of resonated with me. Sure. Yeah, I think it is another one that at work when we do have conflicts. Uh, we tend to, we tend often to seek harmony. Where, you know, maybe we've had an argument or someone wants to give the presentation, but the boss doesn't, you know, doesn't want that person to make the presentation, but they feel they deserve to make the presentation, so they're angry at the other person who gets to do the presentation, and all this kind of cranky pants is happening, and they don't like the boss because I've, I feel like I didn't get my just desserts, et cetera, et cetera. Typically, what we try to do there is let's get back to harmony. Okay, let's let's all see if we can be friends again and get through this. That uh, uh, seeking harmony often uh, creates mediocrity, and it represses a, a whole set of emotions and insights that have a bit of an edge, right? So, that, so this person who prepared all the materials for the sales meeting who really knows what the sales meeting is all about, suddenly they're not allowed to give the presentation, but this other person is, well, they have a they have an edge. Right? Well, that edge is intelligent. Typically, it's uncomfortable, it's not pleasant, it's not, it, it takes work, but there's some intelligence to that edge. And if we keep not paying attention to that edge, seeking harmony, we repress all of these emotions, all of these insights, all of these concerns, we repress candor, all of this kind of stuff that then goes underneath the surface and begins to actually define the tone, atmosphere, and culture of our organization or our team. So the issue of where's the edge is when you're fearless at work, you're not afraid of the edge. In fact, you're actually more than willing to work with it. Let's talk about it. Let's understand it. This person has a very genuine concern about the fact that they prepared all the sales materials and that they would like to get the recognition and the opportunity to participate. And I respect that. I'm open to it. And I'm glad you brought it forward. For this particular sales meeting, I do want this woman to present. And we will talk about how to involve you more in the future. And I respect the fact that you've brought it forward. And I appreciate your voice. That's powerful versus just sort of trying to get through. Does this make sense? It does, yeah. And, and I'm thinking about how that, how that varies with uh, another one of these slogans, which was leaning into difficult situations. 
leaning in. Leaning in, yeah. Yeah, well, it's a similar, again, it's a similar dynamic, is all of this, in order to be fearless, there is a fundamental move. There are several, but there is one that's really fundamental, is can you lean toward your life or lean away? So life presents all kinds of stuff. Uh, pleasure, pain, happiness, sadness, all kinds of stuff. Death, birth, work offers all kinds of stuff. Success, failure, you know, promotions, demotions, hire, fire, it presents all kinds of stuff. We tend to try to create a scorecard. I want all the goodies. I'd like to be promoted, get a title, make a lot of money, be recognized. You know, all the good stuff, we want to lean toward that. But when it comes to getting in conflict, losing your job, not getting the increase, losing the the deal, we want to sort of lean away from that. The notion of fearlessness is you lean into it all. You lean toward it. You incline toward it. Opening toward it, which has a sense of almost, it has a sense of emotional in cognitive vulnerability, but that vulnerability is actually power if you're fearless. So this quality of leaning in, uh, which again is a natural expression of the meditation practice, uh, and it takes time to sort of understand how this dynamic works, but one leans toward conflict rather than pulls back. So, so if, you do martial arts, if you do martial arts, you, you can understand it from that perspective as well. Yeah. I, I'm sort of thinking it from a from a perspective of say, uh, if, you, if, you, if on the horizon you're thinking that you might be about to lose your job, but you don't you don't actually lean into it because you there's a one bit of you fearing it, but there's also mm-hmm. the fear of doing something about it. Actually, by leaning into it, you could could lean into it by perhaps uh, getting a CV out, out there, starting talking to other people potentially, um, but also maybe starting to address that issue head on in the company that you're working with and leave that situation and make it a positive. Absolutely. And as the executive coach, you know that. When you smell the fact that your job may be eliminated, it is very important for you to immediately begin to engage in very sophisticated political discussions that position you positively for that likelihood. And how you lean into those conversations, how you frame them, how you script them, how you shape them, can mean all the difference in the world when the day comes for them to say that your, your, your day's gone. Everything from them giving you a contract to work in transition, uh, giving you a good reference, all of that requires that you lean toward the impending conflict rather than away. Great. We've, got, we've only got um, a, a couple of minutes before I need to kind of wrap up now um i noticed um uh, there's another one that was interesting which was about um how gathering the fearless view how right. do you gather the fearless view mm. we can fin- finish on that perhaps if you can answer that question then maybe just leave us with some you know some key messages that we should take out well i think in terms of the gathering the fearless view once again this is a natural expression of the meditation Normally, when we're at work or in our lives, we focus on the task in front of us. Uh, so, uh, you know, I want to I want to win this deal, right? And we win the deal, and we go, oh, I'm feeling great. Or, hey, I want to get promoted. Oh, I got promoted. I'm a vice president. I'm feeling great. Good. That no problem. This is good. You, we deserve those feelings, and because we work hard. 
But the fearless view is noticing, taking a very big view, because you know that when you when you when winning the deal means that someday you're going to lose a deal. Getting promoted someday you're not going to be a vice president. The big view sees when something's born, we understand there's going to be death. We can see the beginning of the river, and we can see the end of the river at the same time. And this big view, this what we call the fearless view, is, is a, a kind of a poise and a, a seasoning and a depth of one's humanity that doesn't easily get bought into um, you know, the highs and lows of life. We savor them well, but we don't over-exaggerate them to the point of distress or over-buying into a success. This big view is quite powerful, and it's more than just about work. It's also about how one conducts one's life in general. Fantastic. So I have to leave us there, Michael, because it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I could just keep on talking and, and talking and listening with you and getting more and more relaxed through the process too. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for being on the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. No, it's been great. And it's great getting to know you too, Chris. So thank you very much for inviting me onto your show. You're very welcome. I'd love to have you back on again. Uh, thanks so much to Michael Cowell. Uh, to find out more information about Michael, go to www.awakeatwork.net. That's awakeatwork.net. Uh, uh, the book uh, that I, I've read, Fearless um, at Work, um, I've, I don't normally push books on this show, but I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. So if you buy it, I hope you do too. And uh, do let us know what you, what you think if you do. Uh, any comments, any feedback that you have on the show, please send it to chris at bemoreachievemore.com. I'd love to hear from you. Um, also, on next week's show, we've got Michael Dodd. And Michael's going to talk with me about media and about some tools and techniques for really engaging with the media, uh, being able to attract the media, and then how to, how to deal with that really, really effectively. So I look forward to talking to you again on next week's show. And in the meantime, have a fabulous week. Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your week.